0: to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And on our last episode, we talked about wedding planning and the concept of feminist brides and weddings. And something, Caroline, I've thought a lot about during my engagement is, yes, the big day, the big event, Mm -hmm.
1: but also becoming a newlywed. Yeah, and how your life might change. Oh, my God. Will it change? How do you have a marriage that's like equal and egalitarian? There's so much. And, And you know what?
0: As much of a pain as wedding planning is and has been... What I've really tried to do with it, partially to to <laughs> glass half full the whole thing, is see how it has been this exercise of my fiance and I establishing these skills that we will take into our marriage in terms of divvying things up, of communicating, of merging our families and the fun things that go along with that. And sometimes having to be brutally honest. I mean, Carolyn, I learned one night that he just, you know, really can't stand Garland. And I was briefly offended by that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no.
0: I know. But I'm serious. It's, It's funny how these... Small things. I mean, it's it's a nice dress rehearsal because it's like, oh, we're talking about garland. We're not talking about daycare, <laughs> um, unless you name your child Garland. Oh yeah, which we're planning to because we're big Judy fans. <laughs> <laughs> so in a way, um I, I've been so selfishly excited about talking to a practical wedding founder, Meg Keen, as we did in our last episode about wedding planning, um, and and talking to her also about this newlywed phase. And what being a feminist wife looks like and means and what a feminist husband means and The
1: heteronormativity of it all. Yeah, we did, we did definitely address the heteronormativity of it all and like what we can stand to learn from our same sex peers, which Meg is basically saying everything. We can learn everything from them. Um, but even I, as someone who is unmarried, just felt like I had so much to learn from Meg. She had some really, really great, reassuring, valuable, perspective for just people who are in serious relationships. Screw the whole marriage thing even. Like, just valuable advice for people who are in committed long-term serious relationships. And in case you didn't tune in to our last episode, just to reintroduce
0: who Meg is, in 2008 she founded A Practical Wedding.com, which started off as sort of a, a casual wedding blog sharing her wedding planning and DIY um, experiences that has now become one of the leading wedding resources on the internet. And she recently published her second book, A Practical Wedding Planner, A Step-by-Step Guide to Cutting Through the Crazy and Creating the Wedding You Want. And a Practical Wedding is such a fantastic resource because it not only focuses on, of course, the fundamentals of planning a wedding, but they also spend a lot of time on relationship advice um there's an entire essay series on there about reclaiming wife and what that means so whether you're engaged or even single if, if you go to a practical wedding there are um, so many great uh, relationship advice columns on there so you wanted to tap into that expertise that meg has gleaned both in her work and also in her personal life so let's continue our conversation with meg keen Why don't we transition to newlywed life since we've we've planned the wedding. We've gotten through it. The DJs told us everything that we're doing as we're doing it. So what can we expect when we're expecting to be newlyweds? Because during engagement, we're planning all this wedding stuff.
2: But what about the marriage? Right. So let's just assume for the sake of argument that you have slept together and you live together because I think if you haven't, that's like a, it's a little bit of a different ball of wax. Um, so I mean, I think the biggest thing to keep in mind is that it can change things. Like it can be different if it doesn't, that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong, but I think in this sort of modern era, we all assume that nothing's going to change that. Um, like, duh, we're just having a party and then we're coming back to our apartment. Um, and I think that is often, I mean, I don't know if it's the majority or not, but probably the majority of the time that, that is not the case. Like it does change something. Um, and so sort of, Knowing that that might happen is, I think, important. And the other thing to think about is that um, while most of us have lived together and slept together, uh, m- many of us have not combined our finances. Um, and so that's sort of the final frontier, I think. Um, my husband and I didn't combine our finances until the week before the wedding, Which, mm, I do not recommend that. That, that was, that was when I found out he'd accidentally spent the money he was supposed to use for, as his, like, living money for the last year of law school. Bless his spendthrift heart and nearly died of shock because I was the prime, the only breadwinner. Um, so, you know, that was a little bit stressful the week before the wedding. Um, so maybe have that conversation before. Uh, but that, combining finances, um, or fighting about combining finances or trying to figure out how and if you're going to combine finances, um, is it's big, it's emotional. And for us, suddenly we were planning for a joint future and living a joint present in a really real way, um, in terms of money and checking accounts, um, And that was a really, really big transition for us and a good one, but big. Well, how,
1: what are some good, healthy ways during the engagement? So you're, you're, you've been planning for this wedding. You have the wedding. Are there also some good, healthy ways during that time that you can plan a healthy marriage and healthy sort of egalitarian division of household duties?
2: On the last one, good luck. No, <laughs> not, not good luck. But I think you may be fighting about that for the end of time, and you should be. Um, but uh, I'm a big fan of premarital counseling. Um, if you do, if you have a religious service, you often get it as sort of part of the deal, um, and and we did, um, and it was really helpful. And um, if you have a secular service, you can find therapists that do it. Um What I f- found that was interesting is it was less like a couples therapy session, which we've done and whatever. Those are like driving pencils through your eyes. But um it is more it's usually when done if you don't have like huge outstanding issues, um it's it's usually more about like asking questions like we committed to going to couples therapy if either of us ever ever asked for it. Um, During premarital counseling, um, which is a really good thing to do. Um, We talked about like final wishes and death and finances and what we might do if we found out that, you know, someone was unfaithful and, you know, all of those sort of big questions that you haven't always talked about. Um, And then this isn't even a shameless plug. This is just sort of like funny for me. Um, I put together a couple of pages in my first book for questions to ask before you get married. Um, and I like threw it together in an hour. I was like, okay, let me just do this. Um, and then every single friend of mine that has gotten married and used the book, um, has been <laughs> come up to me and be, like, that's my favorite part of the book. And I was like, I could not done the whole book in an hour that's that's all anyone wants um and then therapists have come to me and said like people bring it into them and are like we need to cover all of these questions and they're like we we cannot cover all of these questions because this is like every question you could ever ask in the history of a relationship but maybe let's pick a couple um but doing something like that you know whether it's from my book or some other book um I'm actually looking at a book on the shelf of my office called 1001 Questions to Ask Before You Get Married, which is kind of a lot of questions. And I haven't read the book, so I don't know if it's good. But there are, you know, a lot of books and resources like that 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 you can um, look at. And I think it's good to do during planning because it's good to take a little bit of time out of like planning what is basically an event um, to think about why you're doing it.
0: What are a couple of those questions from your book that kind of stand out as maybe some of the tougher ones or more unexpected questions you might not even think to ask?
2: There's sort of two kinds of questions, I think. Um, we're sort of consistently shocked as a staff, right? Because we both get a lot of questions written in and we're able to observe a whole lot of comments, um, and people discussing marriage. And, you know, in my case, I've been doing it for almost a decade. So I've sort of had a a bird's eye view on what people are thinking about and talking about, um, for a long time. Um, and I'm consistently surprised how often people are ignoring really big issues, really big questions. Um, that, like, you can't sort anything out for forever, but, like, you probably need to have a grip on, like, I don't know, do you want kids? Do you not want kids? Where do you stand on that? Um, what religion do you, you know, want in your family if you're not the same religion? Um, is one of you, this is something I've seen come up more and more, actually, is like, is one of you essentially monogamous and is one of you maybe not essentially monogamous? We We've had commenters, you know, talking about like, how do I go to my husband and talk about opening my marriage? Um, and, you know, that's tough. Uh, if <laughs> if you've never floated it before, um, your husband might be like, oh, my God, what are you talking about? Um, so there are those really sort of fundamental questions that I think people often, especially if you have not been together for forever and ever and ever before you get married, I think people sort of want to say we love each other, so it'll be okay. Um, but in my experience now, having been coupled for more than a decade and married for half of that, um, there's sort of two parts of a marriage and one is the relationship part. And one is also this sort of like life management part, like your coworkers in household management and life management. And if you really are far apart on some issue around life management it's, it's gonna come up. It's gonna be a problem. Um, and then the most sort of not unexpected, but the question people don't think to ask, which I think is important is about, um, your views on aging parents and on family. Um, because that comes up, right? Parents get sick and die. Parents get sick and don't die. Um, parents need to go into retirement homes. Parents might want to move into your home. Um, so it really starts coming up for people and, it can be really shocking to discover that like, oh, my partner's assumption was that his mom would just move into our house. Right. Like, And he just assumed that was fine. And that is not fine at all. Um, so I think that's an important thing to discuss along with sort of financial ramifications around that. Like if your parents or family needed money, would you expect you and your partner to ante up or no?
0: Now, you mentioned um, just a minute ago the issue of uh, one partner being monogamous and maybe the other not so much. And I was curious whether you hear very much from a practical wedding um, visitors about that transition, the newlywed sex life transition, and whether that's a thing because – I mean, it is kind of funny. We're like, as brides, we're often gifted all of this lingerie and there's all the expectations about the first night together, which is funny because of course it's probably not the first night. And so I was wondering if that is another
2: unexpected thing. I don't know if it is. I mean, whatever. I think married sex is hot. <laughs> I do though. Like that was surprising for me. I was like, oh, this is sexy. Um, but like something about the concept of it. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I don't hear a lot. I don't think it's a big transition point for for most people. Um, though I think you do sometimes come across that, like, oh, we've been together for X amount of time, and suddenly I'm realizing I want this different thing, um, and and that could be legitimately quite stressful. I think.
0: Well, that's good to know. That's kind of comforting that it's not that it's not a huge.
2: Yeah. It's just, it's sexy, it's fine.
0: (laughs) Caroline, I have a personal website and I gotta admit, It doesn't look all that great because I haven't redesigned it using Squarespace. Get on that. Well, I will because Caroline sites that use Squarespace look professionally designed regardless of your Kristen Conger skill level (laughs) and no coding is required. On top of that, they give you intuitive and easy to use tools and you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. So Caroline's sandwiches could be yours.
1: Finally. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code momstuff to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. And now back to the show. years now ago Kristen and I did an episode on the division of household labor and we were mainly focusing on the fact that according to academia uh it looked like same sex couples were way on the ball <laughs> men living with men and women living with women pretty much had it down in terms of splitting things up equally it wasn't a huge fight as to who's going to mow the lawn versus who's going to do the dishes it was more like let's do things fairly Simply because there aren't traditional gender roles to fall into. If you both are the social planner and no one's mowing the lawn, nothing will get done. Well, actually, you might have a lot of parties. You just will have an <laughs> overgrown lawn. <laughs>
2: right. So but you have to, like, weed whack to get to the door. I yeah,
1: jeez. Yeah, every, every person to the, bring your own beer and your own weed whacker. Right. Um, so A, I want to ask you, what can, opposite sex couples stand to learn from same sex couples once they're in the marriage, but also like how can people in general learn to strike that balance in their marriage?
2: I think we can learn everything from same sex couples. Um, We, we live in Oakland and Oakland is like the lesbian capital of the universe now or something. I think, I think we have a special crown. (laughs) Um, No, the per capita uh, lesbian population is really high. Um, which is great because it means that now that we have kids, we're raising our kids, um, around a lot of, um, same sex, uh, parents. Um, so I just feel like there's all this stuff that we're not going to have to undo with our kids because they're going to see that from the beginning, but it does mean that we get to watch, you know, how other couples are doing things and how same sex couples are doing things. Um, and I tend to think that we're reasonably good, um, but we're not that good ever. Um, because we do still we are still fighting the good fight as opposed to just being like, well, how are we gonna divide this up? Um I think that I mean, other than the more <laughs> if you have same-sex couples in your life, ask them how they do it. But seriously, like get all the advice you can get. But um I think as a woman, it's really about fighting for what matters and fighting for what matters over and over and over again. Um, I have a staffer who says, um, if it's worth yelling about, it's worth yelling about every time. It's not It's not easy. It doesn't become as easy. Um, in my experience, if you have kids, it becomes way harder real fast, especially if you have biological kids, right? Because... <laughs> guess what? I had to be pregnant twice. <laughs> um, and we have a, a lesbian couple at, um, school at our school, our kid's school. And I was so envious. They, their pregnancies were like the same time. Right. And, um, they switched off and I was like, Oh, oh, I hate that so much that I have to do it twice. Um, but then I was nursing, um, and nursing, um, so that there's like an even division of labor that can, can't be undone. Um, so there was a lot of conflict around that and a lot of conflict around also like societal roles. Once you're both really entrenched in your careers and then possibly have kids, um, that's when it stops being about like what you theoretically thought you were going to do and about, you know, I have to nurse and you feel like your career will be impacted if you tell your male boss that you are going to part time because of kids, right. Like just all this stuff that gets layered on. Um, but I just think you have to fight about it over and over and over and over and over again, because it's important. Um, so, you know, my husband and I just had another big blowout about, um, daycare pickup and our oldest is three and I would say within the last, he, he's three and he's been do- going to daycare since eight weeks. And I would say within the last month, we have finally started to work out daycare pickups. So that's a lot of like hitting it over the head over and over and over again. Um So, yeah, you just got to like work at it for forever.
0: Well, taking it a couple steps back from motherhood. Um, one thing that you've written about a lot and is also, um, a hallmark of a practical wedding is the concept of reclaiming wife and the whole wife identity. So I was wondering if you could speak to that because wife is such a loaded term.
2: God, it's so loaded. Yeah. I realized the day after we got married, like I vividly remember we were like crossing the Bay Bridge. Like I remember where we were. Um, David used the word wife for the first time, which is like intense when it happens. Right. Cause I felt like he was, I think that everyone does this, like you feel like they're lying and then you're like, Oh my God, it's really true. Um, and like, remember looking at his wedding ring and looking at my wedding ring. Um, and just realizing that like him having a wedding ring on meant that he now had like more job security, like more respect was going to get promotions easier. Um, and the inverse was true for me. It would be harder for me to get jobs. It would be harder for me to move up in the ranks. Um, I would have in many ways less respect. Um, certain things would be expected of me, like giving up my career for kids. Right. Um, and so it was just like heavy and tough. And I took off my engagement ring at that point, um, it's since been stolen and replaced. So now I wear my engagement ring everywhere, but it's a new ring. Um, and just wore a band because the band was like, it, it didn't visibly look like, Oh, that's a wedding band. Um, cause I just sort of had this feeling that like it wasn't the public business that I was married. Um, so God, it's just a lot to unpack. I wish I had some easy answer. Like let's just reclaim wife and it's awesome and done, but Oh, Oh, and also, when you first get married, I think it's just like heavy and a lot, and trying to figure out what it means to you. And um, does it mean you have to do all these things? That and do you want to do these things? And and then everyone's asking you about kids, and um, it's tough, man. I mean, even my answer. <laughs> well, even
0: though it's not an easy answer, it's comforting to know that. Those kinds of emotions can happen because similar to motherhood, I think, you know, we expect women to be overjoyed at becoming wives and becoming mothers. And our the complexity of our emotions and identity are often marginalized.
2: Yeah. And I also just want to take an intersectional feminist time out. Um, to say that I was saying all of that as a white feminist, and um, it is not always the same for Black feminists, certainly, um, who have, you know, there's a whole history there of of stripping family rights away from Black people in this country. Um, so I'm not the sort of anything like an authority on that um, and shouldn't be the one to speak to it. But I, I do want to, like, take a time out to say, like, hey, this is. I can only speak for I can only speak for white ladies.
1: Well, I have a, a friend who got married a couple of years ago and even I mean, up to the wedding. And I think even after they got married, her mother in law was still sort of ignoring the fact that her brand new daughter-in-law wanted to keep her maiden name, did not want to change her name and take her husband's last name. And so her mother-in-law kept making all these comments and even, I think, had a tote bag
2: monogrammed. Yeah, that's fun. So Uh, it's not that uncommon. Like it happens. Do you know what I mean? Like. I didn't have a tote bag, but I have a lot of mail. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, um, so
1: Yeah. What's the big deal? What's what's going on with the name changing? And di- have you dealt with any of that? And and what did people tell you?
2: Um, I mean, like, first, I should be blunt. I have, again, as a white feminist need to be really clear about that. But like, I have a pretty unapologetic point of view where I'm like, ladies, don't change your names um, and give your kids your name, which I did. Um, and I feel really strongly about, I'm like, right, we're wiping off, we're literally wiping matrilineal lines off the face of the world. Uh, Um, so I feel strongly about it. And that really is sort of one of my big, big, big feminist fights. Um, and, uh, it's not easy. And I, I don't know what goes on with the older generation. I think they're sort of, it's the whole women policing women thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think there's psychological theory up one side and down the other about this, but that, you know, marginalized groups end up enforcing the norms, like self-enforcing norms. Um So I think it's, you know, if you change your name, then you like sort of have a dog in that fight and want to enforce that code. Um But, and then there's this other idea that if... You, um, don't have one name, you're not a family, which I find to be like, just profoundly ridiculous and, um, apologies if you think that, (laughs) but I find to be sort of profoundly ridiculous and really entrenched. Mm -hmm. Um, and we don't, right. My husband has the name he was born with. I have the name I was born with. Our kids have hyphenated names with mine last. Um, so we don't have a family name at all and we don't use the hyphenated name as a family name because neither of us use it at all, even socially. Um, like, it's just not even a thing. Like, it's just not even a thing. Um, so yeah, the world really pushes back. And I think that if you have made the stand of taking your name or of keeping your name, um, it's kind of right. Like that's the, you pick the fight, um, which is great. But that means you kind of have to push back, right? Because otherwise you didn't pick the bite. So yeah, there's a lot of correcting that goes on. For me, it went on for like five years. It didn't die easily.
1: Wow. Like five years post wedding?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then also, then we had the kid thing, right? Where then people really want to enforce the kid having the the dad's last name only. So like, I've already taught my um, kid who speaks to... Um, correct people uh and and tell them what his name is his really is um so, yeah, God, it's intense, it's intense. The patriarchy does not die quietly, ladies,
0: <laughs> so, in terms of what a feminist marriage looks like, it sounds like it looks like a continual work in progress and a constant yeah. negotiation in a way,
2: yeah, it, I mean. I think it's one of those things where it's like a continual struggle but in my opinion better than the alternative, right? Like I'd rather have a blow up with my husband about gender roles once a month than I have to do everything. So maybe it's just laziness, but um I don't want to do everything. Um I don't want to have to like go to work and then come home and do all of the cleaning and all of the cooking and you know like I don't want to have to do Everything that a stay at home, you know, wife did once upon a time and work full time. Um, I don't want to be both. Uh, So it's worth fighting for me.
1: Yeah, my boyfriend and I just made, I'm not kidding, a chore chart for the house. Because, well, because we found that, uh, cause he cooks a lot, which is great, cause I am nowhere near a great cook, but yep. I can do some laundry. And, yep, too. yeah, right. So like, I love laundry. It's so satisfying. There's a pile and there's not a pile and then it smells good. And so like, yep. that's so satisfying. <laughs> um, and so that's fine. Great. You cook. I'll clean up after you cook and I'll do laundry and then fold it. And it's, it's, everything's great. Um, but there were just the, the outlying stuff, basically anything that it wasn't cooking or laundry could potentially turn into a fight.
2: Oh, there's two things. I think studies have actually shown maybe, or maybe I'm making that up and it's a made up study in my head. Um, But according to the made up study in my head, um, I think that you have less fights and less stress if you have defined roles. Right. And then it's like, my job is to do the laundry. And if you do the laundry for some reason, you're that's great. And you're doing me a favor, but we both know that you're doing me a favor kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, then like the undefined gray area. And then I also will say that if you get to a point where you can and like, feel like you can do it ethically, et cetera, uh, hiring help. Is, <laughs> is amazing. We've only done that really recently, but um, having someone come in and clean the house once a month and do like the deep clean uh, has removed a lot of fights and a lot of filth from our <laughs> from our lives.
1: Yeah, we that's something that's on the table. We haven't made a decision about that, Um but that's definitely something that we've talked about too. Just because then, I mean, that's one less thing to fight over, honestly. And, and you not don't,
2: yeah, not and that we fight all the time. Like- the deep cleaning than it really is like the laundry. There's like these discrete tasks. And also, I I should say that um, having been in in this for a while and had kids and had my marriage change with that and stuff, um, things change and I think things change more than we expected them to. Um, And I think it can be hard to be like, but no, you said you'd do the dishes always and forever. We signed that contract. Um, And you know, stuff changes and there's like different needs at different times. And when I was heavily pregnant, there was stuff I just couldn't do. And, um, yeah, so it's just like, you're just always like negotiating and renegotiating for forever, but that's why you should marry someone you can talk to. to communicate with. Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, that's what I'm hearing between the lines of everything you've said. Mm-hmm. Honestly, yep. when it comes to engagement, wedding planning, having the wedding and then <laughs> going home the day after, you know, everything that I'm hearing is how important communication is and just picking a partner or lucking out with your partner that you really can communicate with each other.
2: Yeah. And picking someone that can be a partner and not just a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Do you know what I mean? Because like, I really have thought a lot in the past few months since having a second kid. So like there's all that extra layers of stuff going on and we've had just a really hard few months with death and the works. Um, but so life's gotten really complicated and just realizing like how much of our lives together are like, who's doing what and is this getting done and also managing investments. And do you know what I mean? But like, The stuff that you do together ranges from, like, sex to financial management, (laughs) housekeeping. Um, And, like, the sex part falls well in the realm of relationships. But I think we're conditioned to think about, like, relationships as, like, are you in love, love, and that they they make you feel tingly? and like that stuff comes and goes, right? And sometimes you feel like that and sometimes you feel like I would like to murder you. Yeah. Um, but I will carry on because we're living a life together and um then you know you come back around. Um, but yeah, you got to be able to manage. It's like it's like managing a company, which I also do, right? Like there's two companies, my company and my household. Um, and they both have remarkably similar tasks, I will say. So
0: Meg, I feel like you're in the like planning stages of your next website, A Practical Marriage, which yeah. I would totally visit all the time.
2: I think it's going to be like a lifestyle site.
0: <laughs> so Meg, where can people go to learn more about you and A Practical Wedding and the book?
2: Uh, the book is A Practical Wedding Planner, and you can find it on Amazon or the sidebar of my site, A Practical Wedding. You will notice but it is uniform and consistent and easy to find me. You can find us on Instagram at a practical wedding. Um And if you want to find out more about me for some reason, um I am at megkeen.com, but I really live at a practical wedding. That's probably the best place to find me.
0: Well, Meg, thank you so much for spending so much time with us and giving us so much insight. And also thank you for making a practical wedding, which, I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say has helped keep me sane for the past
1: year.
2: Oh, thanks, ladies. It was really fun. Yeah. Thank you so much.
1: You are a joy. It was so, it was so good to talk <laughs> to you. Thank you. Well, thank you again so much to Meg for spending so much fabulous time talking to us. We had so much fun. Honestly, again, it's worth saying I just want to talk to her all the time and would love to just have her be the third person on the podcast. She doesn't even have to talk if she doesn't want to. She's just so funny. I just love her.
0: I agree. I mean, you and I uh, talked about that interview outside the studio for like 30 minutes after just (laughs) to like digest all of the great stuff and and insight that Meg shared with us. Um, And so... Honestly and openly, mm-hmm.
1: which we really appreciated. Well, I think she's a very valuable voice, whether it's in terms of your engagement, planning a wedding, planning a marriage, planning a life with your partner, um, because she's there's no fruit, fruit to her. There's there's nothing that she's trying to, like, sugarcoat anything about relationships or marriage or weddings or parenting. It's just nice to talk to a fellow lady about these things honestly and openly. She's just one of those great people who helps you, or I hope helped you, realize, like, you're not alone in these things making you feel like you're crazy. Yeah, and that some
0: of this relationship stuff is really hard, you know? I mean, there's a reason why not to be dismal, but a third of marriages dissolve within the first five years, and I think it's because we don't walk into these relationships with
1: full tool sets.
0: Yeah. Because it can be really easy to get distracted by the wedding.
1: Yeah. Or just by problems or negativity in general, if you get too swept up in any of that, instead of working through it. Yeah. So
0: uh, definitely head over to A Practical Wedding and check out everything that Meg's about. And we also highly recommend, if you are engaged like I am, Definitely check out their two books, which are fantastic resources, A Practical Wedding, Creative Solutions for Planning a Beautiful, Affordable, and Meaningful Celebration, and most recently, A Practical Wedding Planner, A Step-by-Step Guide to Cutting Through the Crazy and Creating the Wedding You Want, and we'll have links to those over at our website, Stuff I've Never Told You. .com. And now, of course, listeners, we want to hear from you because a lot of you are in relationships or have been in them. Some of you might be wives, husbands. We want to know what your insight and advice is as well for having a long term feminist relationship and the work that that takes. stuffworks.com is our email address. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now.
1: I have a letter here from a listener who said that she wanted to share a personal story as a military member serving in Europe during the 90s. She says, A junior enlisted friend of mine found herself pregnant. After consulting with her boyfriend, another junior enlisted service member, the decision was made to terminate the pregnancy. After consulting with a male military doctor, it was explained that the procedure could not take place on base. She would need to have the male hospital commander and her male squadron commander sign off on her to receive care at a local civilian facility. To Take leave time and pay for out of her own pocket. For the record, abortion was legal in the country where we were stationed. The doctor assured her the paperwork was a formality and to come back in a week to go over the process. Two days later, the service member was summoned to her male squadron commander's office and interrogated at length as to her decision. Her boyfriend escaped any such interrogation. This went on daily for a week. The base male chaplain, who was not of her faith, was brought in to persuade her to change her mind. Mostly, the sessions were about guilting, shaming, and bribing her with better assignments when the first two tactics failed. Finally, the commander said he refused to sign the paperwork, allowing her to seek medical treatment off base because he was a family man and against abortion. After a week of these interrogations, she returned to the military hospital to meet with her male doctor, who was shocked and horrified at her treatment. The hospital commander had signed his part of the paperwork, but the squadron commander still refused. Talk about men controlling women's bodies. My friend chose to defy her squadron commander. She took leave, drove herself to a civilian facility, had the procedure, stayed two days in the hospital, which was a hospital requirement, and then drove herself home. She spent the next several months in fear of retaliation and the possibility of punishment up to a court-martial for essentially disobeying her squadron commander. I now live in Texas where it seems not a day goes by that the state legislature is not chipping away at the women's access to legal abortion. This is all under the guise of keeping women safe. So today, when someone asks me how I can be pro-choice, I just tell them I have my reasons. As for my fellow service member, she left the service at the end of her enlistment. Today, she's a happily married mother with three college degrees. So thank you for writing in. Well, I got a letter here from Amy
0: about our recent beauty and fashion episodes from the end of 2015. She writes, In your episodes on beauty and fashion blogging or vlogging as the case may be, you commented about the lack of male equivalents to this kind of emotional work, briefly mentioning sports shows. I think there's a better comparison to be made to video game reviewers and Let's Play commentaries. Like fashion bloggers, Let's Play videos portray a desirable lifestyle to their audience. Earning money playing video games, what could be more fun? However, there's a lot of unseen work, setting up cameras and audio, playing and replaying through levels, cutting and editing videos, creating title cards, etc., Let's Play videos must simultaneously provide interesting live commentary while playing the game. Their personality sells the video even more than actual skills. This is intensive behind-the-scenes as well as performative work combining improv comedy expert commentary and likable personality. Furthermore, the market is similar to fashion blogging in that there are a few elite. Let's play groups that make the real cash money by charging subscription fees to join their live chat, YouTube ads, merchandise, and donations. Examples include but aren't limited to Yogscast. That might be Yogscast, y'all. I don't know what it, how it is actually pronounced. Video Game Awesome and the omnipresent PewDiePie. However, making a living wage is difficult and the market is saturated by amateurs doing their best to break in. It's difficult to know how much or how little some of the pros in quotes make. Some make a point of buying their own games. Others get copies sent to them as well as gadgets to try. I think the Let's Play sector differs from fashion blogging in that the players maintain a level of personal privacy. However, there's a certain false intimacy that develops on the viewer's side. I've spent hours listening to a couple of strangers play a video game on the other side of the world, and it starts to feel like I know them, and I'm actually just quietly chilling in on their couch. It's an odd feeling. And I'd like to clarify that while I think Let's Play have more male than female creators, it's not completely exclusive to the ladies, nor do I speak from direct experience as an actual creator of Let's Play videos, just an occasional viewer. So thank you, Amy, for that insight. And I think your comparison is spot on. And to Yogs or cast fans, my apologies. And if you've got letters to send our way, mom7howstuffworks.com is where you can do it. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts with our sources, so you can learn more about what it means to be a feminist wife, or just, you know, like a human person. Head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com.